Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and from struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. And for all the new listeners out there, welcome. I hope you enjoy. One of my favorite things about doing this show, and I mean this truly, is talking to people from all around the world. And I've been lucky enough to have some international guests always looking for more. So if there's folks you want to see, feel free to send them my way. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest all the way from Nicosia, Cyprus. I will heartily admit that I have not spoken with many people from Cyprus, if any at all. So I'm very excited to introduce today Katia Delgova, who is the Chief Operating Officer and co-founder of Red Hill Games. She's a game developer based in Helsinki, Finland, although she hails from Cyprus. Red Hill Games released its FPS 9 to 5 May of 2022, so very recently, and I'm very excited to hear about how the process, how that process went, what it was like. Uh, so Katya, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you, Lindsay. Happy to be here. Uh, can you please introduce yourself and give the audience a bit of your backstory? Yes, just in a few words, not to you know bother anybody to death with my with my life. Um, so I'm Katya. Uh, right now, I am co-founder and uh, chief operating officer of Redful Games. And as Lindsay said, uh, we are working on the FPS game. Um, for now, we have one live game, which is 95. Uh, which is available on Steam and uh, Stadia. If you want to try it, feel free. Um, otherwise, we decided that we want to work on different uh, shooting games. And so we have several R&D projects uh, in the work as well. Uh, but nothing is announced, so unfortunately cannot share a lot of details here. How did you wind up with a game de- co-founding a game development studio that started in Finland while being in Cyprus? Um, I mean, well, to ask you that. <laughs> sure. Well, you know, this is uh, the power of uh, internet, I guess, and online remote work. Uh, together with France, we decided that uh, we want to set up our own company. And uh, there are four co-founders. Two of us are in Cyprus, two of our co-founders are in Finland. So from the very beginning, we had two offices. Uh, one is in Helsinki, which is headquarters, uh, that's Finland, and one in Cyprus, uh, in Ecosia. But in Cyprus, we have a small operation. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to start off by talking about your role at Red Hill. In a past conversation, we talked about how you do many of the things that aren't related to actual game development, from partnerships, to legal, to operations, marketing, game testing, user acquisition, the wide world that is not game development. But I want to just start right away and talk about how non-software development folks can get involved in gaming. So can you tell me what your past experience was how you got to founding Red Hill and how you're, you've been able to use what you previously did in games and game development? Well, first of all, before starting our own gaming company, I've been working for another gaming company. So I, I wasn't completely stranger to the gaming industry. Although before that, I was working in the finan- financial industry and uh, in, um, uh, in software. 
uh, in IT. So it was somewhat related uh, to dealing with different developers, um, programmers, and so uh, all these uh, creative professionals who need special attention uh, and uh, require uh, a lot of creative environment around them. Um, so from that perspective, I wouldn't say that everything I'm dealing with is not exactly game development. So the main purpose of uh, operations is to enable game developers to develop the game. So we are supporting them on the background with whatever activities are needed, either bringing extra resources from external uh, providers or working with communities or, you know, looking for, for the audience to introduce the game to. So we are part of the development process as well, uh, although not writing the code or creating beautiful art and not designing anything. Although, of course, like everybody has ideas of what is the best game and so how you need to make it. And in terms of uh, people getting into the gaming industry, I think like the main uh, prerequisite is uh, you need to love games. And then uh, the gaming industry is so diverse and so many different skills and uh, professions are needed here. So be it like finance, be it legal, um, community, marketing, uh, business intelligence, all of that is now required in the game. So it's not only programmers and not only designers who are making games. Um, so whatever you like, whatever you do for living in general, it can be connected to the games if you like the industry and you want to be part of it. That makes sense. I there, I definitely feel, and this leads perfectly into the second question, because I'm going to push back just a little bit because I've met tons of people who are passionate about games. And you're right, that is definitely the first step for sure. Um, I've also met tons of people who are passionate and kind of don't know where to begin. So if you're starting from a place of passion and you're a non-technical person, do you have any recommendations for the best skill to learn or the best educational path? Or from your point of view, is it like, oh, the gaming industry really, really needs more HR professionals? Or the gaming industry really, really needs more people who work on their legal team. So go to law school. Like, is there, is there anything you feel that there's kind of a real shortage of? Or if you were a young person who was just really passionate about games, where would you start? Uh, that's a good question. Um, if we are looking at the shortage of some roles uh, right now, I would probably name business intelligence and uh, data, data engineering. Uh, those are on high demand, and uh, if you are good at statistics in, uh, you know, being able to write scripts and work also with developers to ask and answer right questions, you will be in demand for sure. And um, another one is digital marketing as well, because these days uh, all of the companies are working with communities. They are promoting the content uh, to the end users and uh, they are involving communities also into design and uh, into testing, uh, which means that if you know how to operate in the digital world and uh, be the best uh, representer uh, of uh, what your company is doing and what your game is um, uh, about to say and uh, bring to the, uh, to the people, then those skills are also in high demand. Um, and otherwise, I would really say that uh, wherever you are, whatever you learn, there is still a way to apply those skills. It's not that, of course, like every single doctor will find themselves uh, in the gaming industry. But there are also games which are for the medical professionals to test, to comment, and uh, to, to play even. 
and uh, then discuss and, um, you know, be a blogger about that. So there are ways. Um, and um, if it is, I don't know, like finance or legal, uh, there are always opportunities for, for those two. Um, it's probably a little harder to get into the industry if you already built up your career, like 30 years in the profession, then changing the industry completely. Potentially, you need to step down and go into the entry level if any special skills required. If not, some skills are transferable. So if I would be looking, for example, for a financial controller, it's of course good if they have understanding what gaming industry is, but what is more important that they know finance, right? And they can, you know, create the good cash flow and, um, you know, afterwards the, um, the final audit. Um, if they don't know how to do that, then if they were gamers, doesn't going to help. It's not going to help them. That makes sense. Yes. If you're looking for a financial, financial, what did you say? A comptroller? Yeah. Financial controller, yeah. accountant. Uh, it could be like any role which is not uh, directly involved into the game development. Right. Yeah. So if you're looking to get, I guess what I'm taking from this is if you're looking to get kind of directly involved into game development and you are a non-technical person, then considering business intelligence and digital media are, are good points. Of course, there's more. Absolutely. Of course, there's other ones. Yeah. Um, Those are in high demand for sure. Production mm -hmm. roles like uh, project management, uh, also transferable skills. If you got right. them somewhere and you want to go into gaming, that's definitely going to help you. Mm -hmm. um, and always uh, getting involved into the gaming communities. Uh, any game you like to play, there are communities and uh, you can start building up your involvement from, from this angle as well. That makes sense. And then otherwise, specialized roles for experience you may already have, you're looking to transfer. So exactly. that makes sense. I have a lot of friends who are trying to kind of break in and unsure where to start. So I think that, that those are two very good pieces of advice. I want to shift the discussion a little bit and actually talk about what it's been like to develop an FPS because Red Hill just fully launched in May and that is so exciting. There's definitely a stereotype that FPS games are developed and targeted largely towards men and that men are the only ones who play FPS, but we know more and more that that's not true. I, I debated introducing some of the facts on this show about that, but I have read facts about shooter games several times in the past. So I will not bore listeners, but please, if you don't know any facts about shooter games, just go ahead and Google it really quick. I highly recommend ESA's annual report as a good quick breakdown of demographics and games in general. Um, we do know, however, that many developers are men. So can you talk to me about your development process, how you incorporated women into the development and built a game for everyone? And was there any kind of different approach you took in game creation to make it more inclusive? Or do you, I guess, let me rephrase the question. I, you have mentioned previously that you worked with a lot of, of women developers on your team, that there are quite a number. Do you believe that in just having women developers on the team, that you were inherently able to make the game more inclusive just because there's more voices at the table, more people working on the project? Or did you feel that you also had to put inclusion kind of as a goal? Um, it may be a mix of those, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Right. So let me take a few steps back so sure. I, can, I can cover this uh, topic in full. 
Um, so first of all, in terms of uh, bringing uh, female developers into the table, uh, we started a company of already like three male co-founders and one female co-founder. So like we brought up diversity, gender diversity, you know, from the very beginning. Um, as well, we are all different nationalities. So we all came from different backgrounds and that adds also to the diversity and inclusion. Um, at Red Hill in general, our main uh, inclusion and diversity comes from the national diversity because we are recruiting all over the world. And uh, in the company right now, we have 25 different nationalities uh, coming from different countries. So we have about 22 different languages we speak. And so all those different cultural you know, specifics bring a lot to be able to create a good game because the game is for everyone in the world. Therefore, like perspective of every single individual uh, is kind of taken into account. In terms of the female developers and the general uh, statistics, um, I unfortunately cannot argue that because uh, FPS and uh, shooting games in general are still predominantly played uh, by you know male players. Uh, statistics says I think that about thirty percent of the players are female, uh, but it of course depends on each particular game. You know the numbers vary. Um, in terms of our personal player uh, base, um, it's more male because at least. At, at the beginning, it was pretty hardcore. Uh, so females did try and uh, some of them stick and some of them decided that it's uh, too hard uh, or too, uh, you know, uh, too active for them. So we have about um, probably 10% uh, of our player base uh, who are female. And uh, usually those female players are very vocal. So they are members of the Discord communities. They are talking, they are making suggestions. They are actively taking part in whatever tests and events you announce. So they are usually quite good in cooperating with, with the developers. Um, male uh, players, because it's just a number, they are bigger number. Uh, of course, they also do that. But if you compare the percentages, which much everybody from the female player community who play, they all talk as well. So therefore, their voice is usually heard much more than uh, the other genders. Um, in terms of the developers as such, again, you know, we are mainly male, com male dominated company, again, for the obvious reasons. Uh, although we do have senior, uh, senior developers uh, who are female, for example, UX designer, we had uh, senior animator, we have video art artists and uh, 2D artists as well who are representing also a different point of view. Um, and what we believe and all our male colleagues agree, whenever you have um, a different mixture of genders in the team, that helps you having the different perspective. Because otherwise it is pretty like, you know, streamed and um, uh, it's hard to consider things from different angles and uh, having different genders in the team kind of minimizes this issue. I would definitely want to have more female programmers. Not that many exist in the world in the, in the gaming community so we have discussed uh, with the colleagues as well how can we change it in general and we think that probably we need to start really, really early at schools explaining uh, 
kids at school what is good about like being a programmer and encouraging girls uh, to join uh, programming professions, then we will definitely have a bigger pool of candidates to choose from. Um, because there are studios who only have females, for example, such, such studios exist, uh, but they're not doing shooters. They are usually doing like design games or some fashion games or something for the children. Um, but of course, like there is still an opportunity to bring them along and to incorporate in, into our world. So absolutely, there is a need for that. And the programmers will benefit a lot if they have females in their group. I want to plug a different episode uh, really quick, just because I recently interviewed Dr. Jacqueline Thomas of Girls Pursuing Science, and we almost exclusively talked about getting, getting girls into more science-based uh, professions and starting young and all of that. So I totally agree with you uh, when it comes to starting them young. Um, and I confess to her and I'll confess to you too, that I was also a uh, failed science major um, in, in school. I, I had a very active interest in science and I wound up leaving. Um, and women, unfortunately, leave at a much higher rate, which is something I found out much later on. But I just uh, didn't have the confidence as a 19-year-old to stick it out. And I, I wish I would have. <laughs> um, so I, I completely agree with you that it starts early on. It definitely starts with education. Um, would you say that being, and this is, I, I think that there's an obvious answer to this question, so I'm not expecting anything crazy, but I'm, I'm assuming because you're able to bring in so many different folks um, in so many different nationalities that you are a largely remote company. We're not. You're not. Wow. No. So all these people are in, are in real you. life. Yeah, they are in Helsinki and uh, they are in Cyprus. And uh, in general, we don't mind remote work or in, kind of, as a concept. Uh, we started the company office-based, then we had COVID and we learned mm -hmm. how to work remotely. And some people work remotely every now and then. So we're not policing them, you know, being physically in the office on a daily basis. Uh, but for the smaller company, it's much easier to interact when you have uh, face and life contact. Mm -hmm. It's much faster. It's more efficient uh, to discuss ideas, you know, at the coffee machine and uh, right. then go to your workstation and implement it straight away. Uh, so going forward, when we grow, potentially we will be more remote uh, than we are now. Uh, but at the moment, majority of the employees are office based. So then how, what were your recruiting practices like to get so many people from different nationalities, especially with being in an office? Um, well, we attracted them. So like Finland is a good place to live, very family friendly, you know, good environment, uh, good ecology, you know, good government uh, doing a lot, uh, a lot of things uh, for, for the population. And uh, also the Finnish government is pretty good in supporting um, IT industry and games in particular. Um, therefore, it's uh, pretty easy to attract people to relocate and start building their lives uh, in the new country. And also some people like when it's dark and cold and um, every now and then a little bit of a summer like, like now. And some other people prefer to have, you know, hot weather and uh, close proximity of the sea. And therefore, we have Cyprus for that. Um, but when you just start the company, you're pretty much attracting people by the names of the core team who is already there and uh, the attractiveness of the work you can offer. 
Um, because of course, like developers are not just, you know, chasing the life environment, right? You know, few, yes, but in general, it's more important what you're going to work for and so what game are you creating? And uh, if you can, you know, picture what the game is going to be, what your role is there, what's your personal contribution for many people, it's attractive and um, they give it a try and uh, they move across the pond. Very cool. Well, that that's unexpected, um, but very neat. See? <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to, we're going to broaden this a little and still talk about work environments, but we also had previous conversations about the tech industry at large uh, and my own experience, which I've shared. And the most frustrating part is getting stuck at a certain position. So I think that we've had the Great Recession and we've had people leaving their jobs. Um, and I know that's been or the great resignation, rather. Uh, I know that's been a, a U.S. trend for sure. And one of the number one reasons here for people leaving their jobs is lack of upward mobility. You get to a certain point and that's the point you're at. And there's, there's no going beyond that. So as a company that has gone, put all this effort into recruiting diverse talent and having them move to Finland or Cyprus, um, how are you thinking about that next stage of providing paths upwards so that people don't feel stuck, actually stay where they are, uh, get new opportunities, constantly learning and thinking. Um, what's, what's your approach to that? Well, in general, I would say like, you know, Redfield is as guilty as any other gaming companies, because of course, like we have so many senior positions and leading positions uh, as we have. And uh, some people, if they have aspirations to become the next CEO, they most likely need to create their own company, potentially. Maybe there will be opportunity with well, us. But CEO is a little yes, different. I'll give yeah. you that one. <laughs> uh, right. Um, but in general, uh, we do have career progression plans. And um, uh, last year, we hired a dedicated person who is uh, dealing specifically with working with leads and uh, with the employees to make sure they know where they want to go. Because also there are two different paths. Some people want to become people managers and these are certain skills you need to learn in addition to your personal profession. And some people want to become experts and uh, then that's more technical and um, they just need to make sure that uh, they grow professionally as much. Um, and there should be a good interaction in between. And um, of course, like not, Every personal wish can be fulfilled in a small company. Uh, but of course, like we're, we're trying that. Um, when we started, uh, the company, we had to hire seniors because you, you have like 10, 20 people and you expected to create something which is comparable to AAA. Uh, so people have to wear many hats and therefore they have to be very productive in what they are doing. So unfortunately, it's not usually the level of the juniors or interns or even mid-level employees. Uh, but even in the first year, we already started the internship program. So we brought a very, very junior early in career people and started, started teaching them and uh, developing them inside. And uh, they grew with us and uh, they got promoted several times and then decided if they like this path or not. Um, so... Sometimes the best way to get promotion is to leave, unfortunately, and it's not gaming industry specific. That would be any industry, you know, uh, fact, unfortunately. 
but uh, of course, like for bigger companies, uh, there is more opportunities uh, to have several projects in parallel. Uh, but we are also considering that uh, having several uh, projects are being developed so people can move around and uh, take different roles on different projects. Um, it doesn't mean it's 100% guaranteed, uh, but there would be opportunities uh, over time. Doesn't mean that um, you join us today as a like senior programmer and you will become principal programmer or lead programmer in a year. You may. Right, or you may become a people lead on a new project if that's the interest you have and you want to develop into this um, uh, into this direction. That makes sense. And when we're talking about kind of big studios versus small studios, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on startup versus indie publisher versus triple A studio. So. I guess, so you have experience definitely with the startup studio. And I know you mentioned you previously worked in games. We didn't dive into that too much. So I'd be happy to learn more about what that was. But if you were on the job market right now, is there one where you think there is more growth opportunity or a better work environment in general? Like how, if you, when you step back with the experience you've had in the games industry, which of those is kind of the most attractive and why? At this point in time, I would say I would probably go again to a startup or maybe, you know, do similar startup myself uh, with some friends because obviously I don't have all the skills and um, I would need complementing skills. Um, the main reason for that is um, when you uh, work in a smaller environment, First of all, you have more responsibilities if you are interested in that. Uh, you can do more things and uh, it's good and bad in wearing different hats. Uh, but, um, you know, never in the past, uh, I was, uh, you know, doing user acquisition or marketing, right? Um, and now I have this opportunity to learn that also for myself. Um, if I would have been working in a big company like before, it would most likely be one discipline. You can, of course, uh, make an initiative and uh, do something like in the adjacent disciplines, but most likely it still will be, you know, directed uh, quite heavily uh, within the, you know, corporate rules. So from that perspective, for, for me personally, uh, working in a smaller team makes you more in control, gives you more responsibilities, more opportunities, and also you can try different things. So right now, for me, that would be the choice. This is a distinction I hadn't thought about before because I am definitely a person who likes to have several projects going at once. Um, and so it's interesting to hear, you know, the larger you go, the more kind of singular your focus becomes. I think that's a really astute observation. And especially as someone who doesn't prefer to have a singular area of expertise. Um, that's something that I'll definitely carry forward. Um, I've, I've definitely gotten pigeonholed, I guess is the word in the past. <laughs> um, and it's a little bit harder to be creative when you're only looking at one, one area. So I, uh, that's a great piece of wisdom for folks out there. And that being said, there's plenty of people out there who have one area of expertise that they love are super passionate about and can spend 40 hours a week on 
And maybe then it's worth going to a bigger, bigger place where you just have the one thing that you do and you love it. Um, well, those roles also available in the smaller companies and uh, like like ours. And if you like to be an animator and you only like to animate um, hands, you would still have a chance to do that. And you can do it all your life, right? Um, but if you want to do more, then of course, in, in the smaller environment, you would have more opportunity to try new things. Sometimes out of necessity that the company cannot <laughs> get, you know, as many people. Um, but that could be also a choice if you want to do that and uh, you suggest to your manager, to your, to your lead, like, let me try. Most likely they will agree. Where did this hand development, de- development example come in? Because that feels very specific. Uh, well, you know, we're operating the first person shooter, right? So right. You, you, <laughs> the hands is what people thinking, see, wow, right? the hands were really hard yeah. to animate. <laughs> That's funny. Um, can we talk a little bit? And again, we we talked about this when we met up before. Uh, the difference in approach to the Western and American environment versus where you are when it comes to the Nordics and and Europe in general. Um, what are kind of the differences you see in game development companies? Similarities? Um, yeah, just comparison. Would love to get your thoughts. Right. Um, well. First of all, I don't have my personal uh, hands-on experience uh, with American game developers. Uh, the game development, let's say, of course, I know plenty of people who are working in different uh, gaming companies. And in my previous company, we had offices in the States as well. Um, so my main knowledge comes from the discussions, uh, from what we read in books and uh, social media. Um, and... First of all, I would like to say that um, American gaming industry seems to be like more developed, developed and uh, have a greater history than European one. It's not Nordic specific, uh, but uh, like the gaming started not in Europe, um, and therefore like the most uh, experienced professionals are coming from the US, and uh, most of the educational programs are also developed in the US, and we are looking up at them all the time. And all the, all the great games we worked, uh, we played when we were children, in most of the cases are coming from the US as well. So we learned on them. Um, otherwise, um, European and specifically Nordic, uh, gaming industry, they are much more focused on like work-life balance and that people have like good environments, uh, not overworking and, um, you know, having good time while working. And uh, you hear a lot uh, that, you know, in the States, there are lots of crunches and uh, crunch after crunch and afterwards people, you know, just want to leave and have a little bit of life or sometimes they have to jump into the new project as well. So in Europe, it's much more regulated towards the employees. Again, not specifically gaming industry, but in general, labor law is uh, dictating that. Uh, so our employees have very different experience from that perspective. In, I'm not saying we never have branches. We do, of course, if there is uh, a deadline which needs to be met, we do ask our people to put extra efforts. Uh, but uh, we cannot mandate. We always agree. We have to notify them in advance and we have to compensate with money or time off. And it also cannot last forever. It has to have a limit on that. 
And um, that's also one of the benefits which we usually offer to the American developers if they want to try and, um, you know, relocate and work for the European company. You will have a lot of vacation and uh, like uh, pay time off you will use. That's at least five, six weeks uh, during the year you can use. Then all the public holidays, uh, all the extra time you worked, and then you can compensate it as well. Um, good health systems in Europe as well cannot be underrated. Uh, that's also another benefit which all employees in Europe and the Nordics have. And uh, they, of course, like use it. Um, so all your background is supported and covered. So you can focus your productive time on making, you know, good games. So from that perspective, I guess that probably a few things which are different. Uh, but still, you know, we're looking at the American developers at the American um, uh, conferences and everything. And so we want to incorporate this experience into what we do as well. The environment certainly is different uh i will absolutely give you that have you have you found that some of the folks i mean i know you said you, you're recruiting people from all over the world have you found any like is there um any special kind of excitement from american developers to jump ship and move to europe at all i this is i'm purely just curious because obviously we've seen a lot of news about american game publishers lately and most of it has been negative so I'm wondering if a lot of developers are thinking, oh, time to try something new. Um, and, and if you've been able to kind of capitalize on that a little bit. Uh, we always hope. But of course, like, well, people are still having opportunities um, in the same country. They first consider them because it's obviously, you know, more familiar and uh, doesn't require you to change the entire life. Um, the younger people tend to be more interested. Uh, but if you have family with several kids, house, mortgage, whatnot, then you will think twice um, unless it's not a remote. If, if it is a remote opportunity, you can, of course, uh, jump on it right away. If you need to go, then, you know, more things are taken into consideration. Um, so, of course, we try to attract those who seem to be available because of something happening uh, with the company. Um, so far, we don't have too many Americans working for us. We have two out of 70. Um, so they are coming from, from the state. Um, but in general, like going forward, if we need to grow, if we will be attracting um, uh, developers from the state, then maybe we will be also talking about remote engagement. We didn't consider that in the past because we were very office-based, uh, but going forward, obviously, the world is changing and uh, all the development is changing. Yes, I, it, I will say I was a little shocked when you said that you all go into an office. I bet uh, <laughs> that totally took me back for a second. Like, wait, <laughs> people do that still? <laughs> we do, yes. <laughs> that's not that's not a bad thing. It, it, it is completely team dependent. I'm just so used to everyone moving in the opposite direction. I'm fully at home. And so I, I totally forget that other people have different experiences. Um, I want to talk also just about the startup environment because we haven't, we've talked a lot about working at a small game developer and we've thrown around the word startup and you've mentioned the story of how you got it started. But what has it been like to actually build a game development company from the ground up? 
Well, probably the best comparison would be uh, then you are building the bicycle when you ride it at the same time. <laughs> so that's pretty much what we've been doing in the past four years. Um, and uh, there, there are like pluses and minuses, like in everything. And uh, you have big ambitions. You want to create the best company. And of course, the company wants to create the best game ever. Everybody is going to be playing and loving. Um, you learn on the way. And um, it's also like sometimes you need to make choices, uh, which you wouldn't make if you are part of the big company and um, like well-funded and um, you don't need to decide, would I hire, um, I don't know, again, animator or rather mm -hmm. I shall bring a, develop, uh, um, a programmer or do I need, um, I don't know, the character artist or environment mm -hmm. artist is more important at this point in time. Uh, so you have to juggle things all the time and uh, make decisions on the spot. So that's probably the biggest, um, the biggest challenge uh, in the um, in working in the startup, uh, which not yet earning the money from the game it created. Is there anything in particular that you wish you would have known when you started? Um, and I don't necessarily mean any regrets, but it's like, oh, if we just knew this thing, it would have made our process easier. Or if we just had this tool or like, is there is, can you think of any instances where it really was, ah, this one thing would have put a lot of other things to rest? Hmm. Well, for, my, for me personally, I guess we should have brought the person who is dedicating time to marketing earlier on. Uh, that that's in my team, and uh, I was always thinking that you know before the game is ready and so we really start uh, promoting it, we can do bits and pieces ourselves. Like we always had community people who, because we had community from the early testing, right. and um, we didn't have a dedicated marketing manager, for example. That could have been different uh, in analyzing the audience, in making sure that. Uh, for example, the characters are more attractive to the particular audience that we believe the game is for. Um, mm -hmm. So that was not in place. And I think, you know, if I think back, uh, I should have probably hired the dedicated marketing person earlier. Um, again, you know, that's the choice. You decide, right, right. you know, do you do that or not. Um, now I think I should have done it earlier. Well, Another I thing... can never be 100% on, on all course. the decisions, so... yeah. And what's the other thing I want to hear? Another that. thing is that um, when creating a new game in a new company, we thought that uh, it would be good if the game will be very different, right? Of course, like people have so many different shooters on the market, they can you know choose whatever, and uh, they are in general continuing similar path. So we introduced a little too many uh, new things into design, and mm -hmm. um, again looking back. Potentially, we should have looked more into the industry, um, like the, the heads of the industry in, in that sense, and be a little closer to them. Because sometimes completely new things putting people off as well before they're becoming familiar. And so not everybody is willing to, you know, try and test things. Uh, so from that perspective, you know, being somewhere more in the middle, would have been more beneficial. But again, that's the choice we made. And uh, here we are. Like next time, 
maybe slightly, you know, less innovative. Uh, but again, maybe not. We'll see when the next thing comes. Right. Well, I really appreciate that you said um, that you said that about a marketing manager because I am very pro marketing. Um, as someone who works in marketing, I think marketing is so important. If you build something great, but there's no one to look at it, then it doesn't matter. Um, and the exactly. sooner you can bring someone in who's going to say, hey, everyone, look at this thing, the, the better off you are. Uh, and I, I do think it's, it's very salient to say it's good to be unique, but things are popular for a reason. And it's because they're well liked. So finding that balance of introducing unique elements while incorporating the good old familiar things that people love. Um, in a yeah, game is, is important <laughs> and hard to do. I mean, all of these things, like you said, you're you're building the bike while you're riding it. There's no way to know some of this until you get started. So that's just the unfortunate truth about startups. <laughs> exactly. But we learn, right? So after four years, it's probably already harder to call ourselves startup because we created the game. Mm -hmm. it, it can be played. Um, we have very good team. Uh, but still, you know, we have, we, we are small and uh, our general um, attitude hasn't changed much. So we're still kind of start topic. I get it. Well, and speaking of, tell people where they can play 9 to 5 um, and let them know, you know, what's, what's next and what's exciting at Red Hill Games. So obviously we continue working on 95 and uh, that's on Steam and on Stadia, depending, you know, what you prefer, keyboard and mouse or controllers. Mm -hmm. um, it's available on both platforms. And um, as I mentioned at the beginning, we are planning to work on uh, shooters. So something next will be also in the shooting genre. Uh, we don't know yet what exactly it will be. We have several ideas uh, which designers and artists and programmers are discussing internally. And at some point, of course, like as soon as we are ready to announce something, everybody is going to hear about that. Um, the best way to follow is the website, uh, then the LinkedIn page, and uh, we publish all the news there. I love the name 9 to 5 and the, the call out to Dolly Parton. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I... It was a reference to the BS working day. Yes, I love that. Oh, that's great. Um, so before we get into our last segment, I'm just going to summarize really quickly what we talked about. We started we this whole podcast, really, this has been one of the podcasts where I really remained on theme, uh, kind of rare, but we, we have been having this discussion about work and work environments quite a bit. Um, one of the, and you gave lots of great pieces of advice that I'm going to now go over. One of them was that business intelligence and data engineering positions are in a shortage. If you can work with developers and ask and answer the right questions, do the project management portion, you'll, you'll be in high demand. Digital marketing, also in shortage. And as you mentioned, better to hire earlier than later. Um, so if you know how to operate in a digital world or if you can take marketing classes, whatever that may be, you'll be in demand. And then the last thing that I thought was really interesting was basically you said, if you have specialized skills, look for specialized roles. Uh, the example you gave was that there's always games being developed in the medical community. So if you're a doctor who's really passionate about games, go out and look for those studios that are developing games for doctors that learn on the job and things like that and be a tester for that. Uh, we talked a lot about gender diversity within Red Hill Games, not only within the company, but within the community. And you mentioned that a large portion of your audience is male, but that 
the women have an outsized voice uh, in the community that you do have and are able to to really get their input out there, um, which I think is a great way of uh, building a game from the ground up that doesn't include toxicity or or anything like that. It's just having people talk about the game and play the game and talk about how to improve the game, no matter what they look like. Um, a huge mix of genders, cultures, and languages brings a different perspective to your company. You are very adept at getting people to move across whatever pond they may be coming from, given that you have 25 countries represented, I believe you said. Yep. Um, one of the most important things into getting more women into these roles, getting even more diversity in that way, is starting young with early education. Um, one thing that I think is very unique and very cool about Red Hill Games is that you have career progression plans and a person dedicated to working with employees to know where they want to go. I think that that is becoming more important as we get through the Great Resignation and hopefully more companies will will implement a role like that. In some industries, it may be more beneficial just to leave the company and be able to kind of upward move upward that way. But for companies that can handle several projects at once, uh, there might be several opportunities happening simultaneously. So I think the general piece of advice there was both to look within and outside of the company for opportunities um, if you are kind of stuck at your current position. We talked about working at big developers versus startups. And startups allow you to work either in one area of expertise or on several different disciplines at once, depending on what you want. Startups are more agile, which can mean exploring more paths. Big developers, it might be more so about fulfilling your singular role and kind of being a cog that kind of keeps that machine going, which also absolutely has its value. It's just you have to know yourself and what you're looking for. Um, we talked about the differences between the American and European game environments. One thing that you pointed out I thought was really good is that Americans have, you know, this is where game development really started. So you're going to get that truly seasoned experience from the U.S. Um, but European systems and benefits are just a bigger draw when it comes to quality of life and may eventually then be a bigger draw when it comes to quality of games over time. Who knows? Um, we ended with a discussion on on building a startup and what's that what that's like and how it's building the bicycle while you're riding it. If you're starting a company, the two pieces of advice you gave, hire a marketing manager early and strike a balance between being unique and taking elements that are already popular. I think those are good pieces of advice for any startup, really. Uh, so I, I'm going to broaden that to uh, the tech industry at large, not just game development. So yeah, the last question. Well oh, thank you. Yeah, if, I always feel a little bad because I hope people know when I'm, I'm looking down and taking notes when they're talking, I'm not writing an email to anyone. <laughs> I'm actually writing episode notes. Um, so the last section that I like to end on with everyone, and I asked a version of this, but I'm going to ask it more specifically to you, is what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? Um, well, uh, to tell the truth, I came to the in uh, gaming industry pretty late, um, mm -hmm. just eight years ago. And before there was like, you know, different industries, uh, dif different um, companies. Um, probably if I would be uh, talking to younger self, uh, I would say try gaming industry earlier because it's such an exciting world. You can do so much and uh, it's such a... A creative environment you are part of and you can do so so much 
And um, when I got my first job in the gaming industry, my son, who of course likes to play, uh, said that finally, mom, you have a proper job. Because everything I was doing before, like earning well, you know, growing as a professional, for him meant nothing. Yes, we have food in the fridge, huge. But when I joined gaming company, you say, well done, now proper job. Um, so like also that helps bringing uh, closer the next generation. And uh, we have a lot more to talk about now with kids uh, because I better understand um, what their interests. And um, um, I can also refer to different game developers and games. And I definitely know more about the world they live in. So that's for sure, you know, Talking to my younger self, I would say, like, you know, think for the future. And uh, that will definitely help you talking to your children and uh, also be like in a very healthy and uh, exciting environment. That is so funny. Kids will say whatever's on their mind. <laughs> um, Katya, thank you so much for coming on. I know you mentioned where people can find and follow Red Hill Games, but. Where can they find and follow you if you want to be found and followed? <laughs> well, absolutely. Feel free to drop me a note. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and all the social media. And also, if you write a note uh, on the uh, company page, also, you know, I'll get back to you. Perfect. Thank you so, so much for being here. This was so much fun. I love learning about game development. And it was especially cool learning about FPSs. Uh, not, not my usual forte, so that was fun. For all Thank the listeners you. out there, be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews. It's not going to be five stars. Don't leave it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But also check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business of Esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Post. You can always send me a note. Um, and you can catch me live Wednesdays on the Business of Esports live after show. This podcast will be in your feed every week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.